0: This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcast.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. All right, Parshas Zosha Bracha fifty seven eighty three in the Sukkah. So Paraglam Gimel Pasuk tests toward the end of his Zosha Bracha. It says uh, oh, toward the beginning, I should say, Ha Omer La Imo Lo Shavit Levi, the Bracha for Moshe Moshe Rabbeinu, is that they said to their father and to their mother. I don't see them. I have nothing to do with my dad and my mom. He doesn't recognize his brothers. He doesn't even know his children. You know why they don't know their children? You know why they don't know their parents? Why they're not involved with their brothers? Because they kept your Torah and they t- took care of the bris. They protected your covenant, the covenant that they made for you. Okay. So what's with Shavit Levi, and what exactly is this bracha? Again, it's a bracha that's supposed to be given to them. What's the bracha that's being given to them, and what are we saying over here? So Rashi says, this pasuk is referencing what happened in the aftermath of the Ege Azov. As we all know, the rest of Bnei Yisrael were, were involved with the Ege Azov. Moshe Rabbeinu called out, Hashem Who's with me for HaKadosh Baruch who's with me, and his Shavit, Shavit Levi responded, no one else responded, or as a whole, no one responded. There might have been individuals, but as a whole, no one responded. He commanded that they had to kill all the people from the other Shvatim that were directly involved in the eagle. If anybody was directly involved in egel, even if they were relatives, they would have to kill them. For example, a grandfather from their mother's side, who may have been a Yisrael, their mother's father, who is a Yisrael, That would be number one. It could be their maternal brothers, their mother from a previous or later marriage had a child who's now a Yisrael. It could be their daughter's sons, their daughter married Yisrael, and then afterward they had a kid. All of those, that's the Bunim, the the Achim, the brothers, as well as the Aviv, the Av that we're talking about over here, Aviv Imo, that they're talking about over here. The Pasuk wouldn't be talking about their actual fathers or brothers or sons because they would have been Leviam. And we know that none of Shevet Levi did the Egel Azov. So that's how Rashi understands. We're talking about the Egel Azov. It's got to be somebody else entirely, and that's that. And this is all brought down in the Parshish Kisisa, of Lama Beis, by Kol B'nai Levi. It's Kol B'nai Levi. All of B'nai Levi were not involved in the Egel Azov. Therefore, we're talking about somebody else entirely. The Rabbity Yol says the remiss to this is the fact that Bunov is written without a Yud. It's written Bez Nun Vav. To say that it's not really his kid, it's his grandkid from his daughter's side, and they're not really Leviam. That's why there's no Yud there whatsoever. Now, the Torah Tzimima and Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky both wonder why this pasach is not used to prove Bnei Banim Harehem Bunim. We have a, a proof that's brought in the Gemara that grandchildren are like children for a son's son. But here we have a daughter's son that's known as Bunav in the Pasuk and the grandchildren are known as his children. The Pusik says, these children, we're talking about the granddaughter, why is this not used? There's a Gemara in Yavama Samach there's a Rashi over there. there. There are some pretty awesome things over there, but I'm not going to get into that. It's in Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, that's in the Torah Tamima. There's another point that's brought down by Rechain Knievsky and Taimit Akra, as well as Rav Steinman and Ayelas Ashachar, right before him, it was in the Torah Tamima as well. Emo cannot refer to the mothers worshipping the Egel Azov. The reason why is because women didn't do anything by the Egel Azov. So it can't be, if this is talking about the Egel, it can't be anyone's mother. No one's mother could have been involved in the Egel Azov, because they didn't do so. So that can't be. So therefore, it might be that the way to read it is, to his father, to his father, of his mother, meaning his stepfather, somebody who's related to him, but not really related to him. And that's what we're talking about over here, right, that it's somebody else, Aviv, of emo, not literally emo. And the Chidah talks about this as well. How could it be that we're mentioning mother if we're talking about the Egel Azov? Okay, all of that is according to Rashi. All of that is the first shot that we're talking about the Egel Azov and how Shavit Levi stood with Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's a bracha. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Thank you guys. I appreciate you doing what you needed to do, even if it meant that you had to kill your own brother a maternal brother, your own children, a grandchild from a daughter, or even your own stepfather or somebody that's involved in your life, etc. However, the Rush, the Bechor Shor, the Panach Raza, the Rabbeinu Ephraim, and Rabbi Yosef Cairo's grandfather from the 'er Be'er Torah, says it's talking about their actual fathers, their actual brothers, and their actual sons. Since no one in Shevet Levi did the azov. They never saw their father do anything wrong. They didn't recognize their brothers among those who were killed. And they didn't know any sins of their children. Isn't that brilliant? I mean, we're not talking about they, didn't, they themselves didn't recognize them and therefore they killed them. It's just the opposite. They never knew anyone involved in the Egil Azov. Neither their father, nor their brothers, nor their children were involved in the Egil Azov. What an unbelievable thing. That's the idea. They were all clean. They were innocent. Everything was great from them that's how they say the Nitziv says it could be a reference to Adas Korach and you should know I found this in three different places Miam brings it down he doesn't say who it's from and I found it in another so I forgot where but the Nitzv says it's Adas Korach Korach didn't listen to their parents and it's not a bracha it's muster to it, Lady. How could you guys have not listened to your father, your brother, and your sons, and gone against me and fought against me? Look at what happened to you. They got swallowed up by the earth and they were burned up by that fire itself. They fought against the Kaddish Baruch out of a true desire to serve Hashem. True. Yes, they wanted to serve the Baruch so they did everything they could to be able to do it. That's a Myla. But nonetheless, how could you have messed up that badly? That's the question that we're asking over here and that's why we're saying what in the world is going on here? Now, the Ibn Ezra says this is true about the Shevet in general. This is Shevet Levi and who they are, not just back in the day. Shevet Levi was willing to dedicate their children to a Kaddish Baruch at a very young age, even when they were super young and little kids. As we see from Hannah, who donated her child Shmuel when he was three years old to the Beis HaMikdash for the rest of his life. Why? What's up? I mean, she was praying to have a baby. That was part of the deal. Even, more so, even more so. Even more so. Okay, like, I, like once you get it, I don't know if you're going to give it up so quickly. <laughs> yes, you're 100 percent right. I, I, it's just that's really, really difficult to say. Yes, I know I promised it. This might be a time to be nicer netter. You know, like that's that's hard to do. do but they did up? it. Gave him to the levium and the kohanim to raise them, meaning giving up him, her raising them, and just giving them out, giving shmuel over. Which is crazy. Of course she had contact. Every year she would bring him a new shirt. But he's not in the house, you know what I'm saying, giving up. And that's the idea. Such dedication didn't go unnoticed, and she wasn't the only one who did it. The Moshe of Zakenim says the same idea. The children of Shevet Levi would leave their houses super early to go learn. And listen, although we don't really have this nowadays, we don't in the same way. But in Europe, that's what people did. They might not have ever seen their kids again. If you sent your kid to go learn in a town that wasn't anywhere near you, it's possible you'll never see them again. Yes, now there still is mysterious nephesh in sending a child to a yeshiva that's out of States and not having them around. I'm sorry? I get it. Shave it, Levy was a little bit different. It wasn't just the Bakhor. It wasn't just the firstborn. There were many people that did, the, at, at least according to Dave Ezra, that they're all in the motions of Canaan, they were all involved in this, which is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's unbelievable what people do nowadays to be able to make sure there are people, there are stories of people from Seattle sending their kids to New York and to you know Baltimore to make sure that they had some type of education, which they weren't able to get anywhere else. That's an amazing thing. That's amazing. 40, 50 years ago. Even now, it's a hard thing. Like sending my kids away. I couldn't do it for high school, but I did it for base so That's a little bit different when they're 18. I want them out of the house. When it's 13 and 14, you know, it's difficult to be able to say to a kid, it's time for you to go. But that's what we're willing to do for our education. That's the willingness of Shavit lady. The Kidush says the same. They left really early. They didn't return for many years. So when they did come back, they didn't recognize them. They came home and they said, I don't know my father and my mother. I don't recognize my brother. And even their children, they would leave right, and not recognize their children. They go to learn for years and years and years. They come back and not recognize their children, like it says in Ksuvis, Samach Beis and Samach Gimel, Rabbi Hanina Barchama, and Rabbi Akiva himself, who may not have recognized their kids when they came back because they were gone for so long. Yes. Yeah, That's the dedication. That's the dedication. Meaning, if you're willing to do it, and there are people who have succeeded at this. They were willing to do this and they were most or for it. Not everybody can. Not everybody should. But there were certain people who were willing to do it, and those people are the ones that are being praised here. Those people are able to say such a thing. But I would mm-hmm. never suggest it for someone unless they're doing it themselves. They want to do it, that's one thing. But to say to somebody, you should be doing this, that's a hard did the thing. Have a choice? I, I think they did. I think everybody had a choice. But a oh, lady could theoretically. Yeah, because remember, they're not serving in the basic mixture until the age of thirty, and they're working at the age of twenty-five. Even then, they're only working two weeks a year plus Yamim tovim. So in theory, you could get out. But, but hold I'm on. It, but regarding learning, sure. regarding learning, right? That's a little bit different. That's something that was a little so bit like, different. Hey, I don't want to I, I, I think everybody was allowed to do that. Everybody was allowed to The same way that anybody who's not in Shiva Levi was allowed to do this as well. But Sturmbach brings down that this is the reason why we tell B'nai Torah they're allowed to ignore their parents' wishes. If their parents say, we want you to stop learning and do whatever it is, we tell them you're allowed to not listen. You're allowed to not listen. Why? Because there are certain people that are shaped Again, you have to do this in the right way. You can't send a nebuch and say, yeah, you can go ahead and not listen to your parents. If this guy's not going to be successful, but if a guy is being successful and the yeshiva sees that this person is doing well and their parents are like, no, no more, then you are allowed to say to the parents, no. la I, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see what you're saying. And you're allowed to do that, even though we obviously have a mitzvah to say, keep if to keep it out of the in. aim. That's a good question. Probably not. Probably not. You would not be able to make them pay for it. You wouldn't be able to make them, you know, force them to make them do something against their will. I think that's 100% right. The Targum, you understand, gives a similar <laughs> answer, and this, Dave, was what I was telling you. The levium were still to serve in the Basin makers from the ages of 30 to 50. They started learning at the age of 25, right? It makes sense that a father-son combination by levium never happened. Think about that for a second. Think of a father-son combination. There are times, obviously, where a guy might have had a child at the age of 20, Right? And that child grows up, and once he hits the age of 30, his father is just leaving the base of Mikdash. But for the most part, no one ever served with their kids or with their parents. Maybe with their brothers, but never with their parents or their kids. And therefore, a omrla of lo I'm sorry? The 50, 50, they maxed out the They maxed out. All right, 30 to 50, and that was it. So it makes sense. You never worked with the older generation or the younger generation. The older generation was already gone by the time you got there. Maybe, again, maybe when you were 30, you saw your 50-year-old father. Maybe a 50-year-old father saw his 30-year-old son. But it never happened otherwise. So says Targum son, they started learning. It makes sense. They never saw their parents. They never saw their ch- children. The only issue with this is that they probably saw their brothers. I would assume they saw their brothers. And also, like, I, I really don't understand it so much. They worked two weeks a year because they all had Mishmaros similar to the Kohanim. Two weeks a year, maybe three weeks a year. And then they worked on Yom Like, how did they not see their parents or their kids? Like, you were home the other 48 weeks of the year, 47 weeks of the year. I, I really don't understand they they that so like, much. I'm sorry? They sent them like on a different year. It doesn't sound that way. It sounds like they only worked for two weeks and then they went back and they did other things. I, I, it, it's a little weird. That answer from the Targaryen Center is a little bit weird, but it certain, certainly seems that way. The Malo Ulmer says, look, Sheva Levi never got a chilek in Eretz Yisrael because they were connected with the Kadesh particle. They had to separate from all the mundane parts of the world. So therefore, they had nothing to do with their relatives because they were detached from that part of the world. They had nothing to do with them. But it's a weird answer. I, I just, again, I, I don't see how a couple of weeks would be enough to be able to separate themselves. The Bar-Ven-El, says this is the reason why Shevet Levy became judges for Claw Yisrael. They were the judges because they were impartial. They said to their father and the mother, They said to their brothers, We don't recognize them. They were able to say to a father, mother, brother, and even a child or a grandchild, I don't get it. I don't get it. They weren't swayed by the arguments that people gave. And that's the best judge that you can get. Someone who's going to judge fairly no matter what. No matter what. Now, even though you're not allowed to be a judge even for a relative, the point is that Shevet Levy could have been relative, Judges. They could have been judges for the relatives. They could have done it. They didn't, but they were allowed to. That's the idea. Sora Morris says the same, and so does the Tom Rav Riff Sternbach says they were so dovick to the Torah, they couldn't imagine giving a stellar, meaning like a job, to a family member. There was no protexia. There was no, oh, my brother would be perfect for this. Sheva Levi wasn't like that. They gave it to the best person in line for the job. And that's that. And that's what made them so great. And that's what Moshe Rebbe was saying. Chafetz Chaim says there were many people in his time who were seduced by the words of their relatives to do things that had never done, been done in Klai before. In other words, there were people that started going off the derech and started listening to those who were Reformed or free Jews who went around to the people who were still living in their, their you know, little you know, shtetls and whatever it is, and said, it's time to come out of the shtetls, it's time to come into the light, be part of the Enlightenment movement, and be part of everything that's right there. They were powerful. Their arguments were extremely good. And there were relatives. Relatives can be trusted. But when it comes to harisus hados, which is destruction of the law, the Rambam is very clear. He says in the Tshubis that Torah takes place over everything else. Yerush has Hashem is above everything else. He even suggests people should move away from their home if the challenge is too great for them. Baruch Hashem, that is not a challenge that I think many people go through nowadays. I think that's something that was back in the day, in the 1800s, that was something that was extremely prevalent, even before the Holocaust in Europe, pre-war Europe, that was something that was extremely prevalent, where people just went off one after the other because of these ideas. But that's how the Kavitzchallim said it. You just got to be careful to stay away from that. Okay, then we get to the next one, and I kinda said this before, but not exactly. The Kleacher quotes the Gemara Megillah, Yitzhayim and Elf. Anyone who learns Torah properly is putter from keep it up aim. They're not chayiv in honoring their parents. His proof is from Yaakov. Yaakov went away for 22 years from his parents. Therefore, he's punished that Yosef was taken away from him for 22 years. The problem was he didn't leave for 22 years. He left for 36 years. He was there for 14 years in Yeshiva Shem Aver, 20 years by loving another two years after that. What about the extra 14 years? And the answer obviously is he was never punished for learning Torah. When he was going into business, he was punished for staying away from his parents. But when he was learning, he was not punished. The 14 years of Yeshiva Shem didn't count. And that shows because sometimes, obviously, in order to learn Torah properly, you have to go against your parents' wishes. You might have to go against your siblings' wishes. That's a possibility. And even in Gemara Erevin and Chafez and again, do not, this is like one of those warnings. Do not try this at home. The Gemara says, They are blackened like ravens right? Meaning like the way that ravens are dark, etc. People were cruel to their own families in order to learn Torah. And that was a praise to them. Again, that is not something to try at home. <laughs> that, that is not something I would ever suggest to somebody. But there were certain people like Rav Adab whose wife asked him before he went to yeshiva, what are the children going to eat? And he said, there are still things that are free in the fields. Tell the kids to go pick crops and bring them back. And Rav Adab became who he was because of that. But again, that's Vezban of Loyalda. They didn't know his children. He allowed his children to do something different. But that's something you got to be extremely careful with. I would never, ever, ever make that suggestion to somebody. And even if somebody would come up and ask me, should I ditch my kids and go learn Torah? No, absolutely not. But a person who's truly, truly Shem who wouldn't even ask a Shiloh, he knows that this is what it's supposed to do. Okay. That's this level. I just would never tell a person to do it. That's a very scary thing to do. But that's the Kliakar. The Kliakar says there are certain people who are able to do this and are successful at it, but it takes a very, very special person <laughs> to do that. And again, it's either the most special person in the world or the biggest idiot. Like, it, it, there's a fine line between those, you and you have to be careful. I, I, I've never been able to find somebody. <laughs> so, Ravada Varmasana is the example in the Gemara, and that's it. I, I would never tell somebody. I'm sorry. You hear yeah, them, that's, what, I do I was, that's you what, what I'm saying. Yeah, the, uh, 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 yes, um, um, yes. Believe Um there I can I can look that up. There is somebody who's Ravadas' kid. Yeah. It is Ravadas' kid. Yeah, he's in the Gemara. Okay. But again, I don't know what happened to the other kids. <laughs> like, but if the right, if the if the Gemara set brings that as an example, it's possible that that's something that we're supposed to emulate from. I would assume that that's what's there. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, Rabbi Akiva, we know he had a kid, Rabbi Yeshua ben Korcha, he also had Shimon, and we don't know, listen, we're not positive when those kids were born, but the likelihood is you're exactly right, that happened to Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Akiva's kids came afterward. The Chafetz Chaim knew that there was some Talmidim in his yeshiva that came from very far away places, people came to Raden from many places, maybe even America. And they hadn't seen their parents for many, many years. He told them that Gullus is definitely a kapara, But aside from that, it's the one thing that allows us to grow tremendously. There are times where somebody has that. I have suggested this to many people before, and I really feel this way. And honestly, now that my daughter is married and that I have a son-in-law who's in learning... The most important thing is to stay away from your parents or your in-laws in the beginning of marriage. I truly think that's where real growth happens. Now, granted, that could cause problems as well, but staying away allows for the parents and the parents-in-law to stay out. I'm good intentioned. I'm very well intentioned. That doesn't mean I make good decisions when it comes to my daughter's life or my son-in-law's life. It's very good to have that separation for a little bit. The one thing that my wife and I always attribute to, the fact that we became close and that we got closer, is that we stayed in our cell for five years where we didn't have any family at all. And it was difficult for all of our, my parents and for her parents to come visit us. And we didn't really have anybody around us. My Bubby and Zadie lived there, but Baruch Hashem, they were older then, it wasn't the same, right? It's very important to make yourself go in that direction. It says the Chavetz that gullus that's mechaper, that gullus is able to somehow help you grow in a way that you never were able to otherwise. The Beis of Gur used to say that this is the definition of the word chassid. As the previous pasuk says, A chassid is a person who's willing to separate from his family for the right reasons. And if he does a l'man Hashem, then it's good. But again, as I said before, I'm not suggesting that without major, 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 you know, something behind it. The Rav of Vilkamir was very close with one of his daughters. It's a great story. Or a Zilberstein. So the family was very worried what to do when she passed away. His health was precocious. He, he, had, he, had, he had health problems. And they were worried like, what are they going to tell the Ravavilkamir? What are they going to tell about his daughter itself? They decided not to tell him. So they decided not to tell him. But there was a problem. During the summer's man, he would always go to visit her. There was a little, you know, the three-week vacation from Tisha up until Rosh Kodesh Elul. So it was always like that three-week time where they were able to do things, right? He was going to go visit his daughter, but his daughter passed away. What were they going to do? So we had another son-in-law. His son-in-law was the Panovich of Kahneman. So if Kahneman said, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. Right before the Rav of Vilkumir was going to go to the, the, what's it called, the train station, I guess, to go to visit his daughter, the Panavich Rav came up and said, I have this kasha and this sugya that I'm learning. And he brought up a Tosos. Rav of Vilkumir brought something up. He brought something up, Rav Kahneman. And they kept talking and talking and talking until they realized he missed his train. He said, all right, I'll go tomorrow. The exact same thing the next day. The Panavich Rav went up to him and just talked to him and learning, right? And again, he missed his train. The Rav of Vilkamir loved Torah so much that even though he knew he had to beast him where he had to get somewhere, if somebody would get him into a sugya, he wouldn't leave the sugya. He wouldn't stop. He'd keep learning and keep learning and keep learning. In the end, every year, this is what happened. For a couple days, the Panovich Rob did it, and then he'd say, oh, it's too late for me to visit my daughter. I can't visit my daughter. The next year, he did the exact same thing, and he didn't visit his daughter. Obviously, she had been passed away years earlier, but he didn't visit for five years until the Rava Vilkomer passed away as well. Right? That's, that's the concept of somebody being so great, so into his learning, he can't think about anything else. He knows he's supposed to be somewhere. You know, I used to have a guy who slept through chakras all the time, mamish, every day. Like he couldn't get up for chakras every time. I would wake him up three or, four times, three or four times in the morning. He was in the base measures, three or four times. And he had a flight at six in the morning, right? So he had to get up at like four in the morning. So I'm like, do you want me to wake you up? He's like, no, I'm going to wake up. I'm like, honestly, I, I hate to say this. I really hope you don't, because <laughs> if you can get up for that, and you didn't get up for Shakurs once during El Osman, even Roshani O'Kippur was difficult for him, I'm like, if you can't get up for that, there's going to be a huge tie-in on your mind. I was so happy when he missed his flight, so happy. He made a flight later on that day, and I told him, like, okay, once. That guy, by the way, the best, the best, that Qadosh Baruch Hu is so amazing. He has to get up every morning at 5 in the morning for his job now every morning at five in the morning. No questions asked. He must get up there. And he does it. He's able to do it. Now he goes to Shacharis. Now he like appreciates the days where he can go to a later Shacharis. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I love how Kadish Baruch does that. Anyway, that's that. And the Chizkuni, Rav Chaim Paltiel and the Paneach Raza, they all say this whole Pesach and the one preceding it is referring to the Kohen Gadol, right? We talk about the Egel and Abbas Korach and all these people, but now we're saying it's the Kohen Gadol. He is not able to become tummy for any of his family members. When his father or his mother passes away, a Kohen Gadol, not a regular Kohen, a Kohen Gadol cannot go to the funeral, right? A brother, a, a, a child, he's not able to go to the funeral, right? That's because he has the bris of Hashem, and the Amira of Hashem says that he has to keep it. That's the idea behind it. So that's how the Aznaim, the Torah says that here as well. It's the concept of, he's the Kohen Gadol, he's different. Ha'omer alo l'orissif. I can't. I'm the Kohen Gadol. I'm not allowed to go to your funeral. In his very unique fashion, the Chesam Silver says this Pasuk refers to Aaron coin, Not just Kohen but it's a reference to Aaron himself, even though he had tremendous parents. Tremendous. He had tremendous siblings and even greater children. Think of this. He had Amram and Yocheved, the Gedoli as his parents. He had Moshe and Miriam as his brother and sister. He had Nadav and Avihu as his children, let alone Elazar and Itamar. But Nadav and Avihu were supposed to be even greater than Moshe and Aaron themselves, according to Rashi. Right? He was never somech. He never relied on any of their merits. None of their schuyos. He worked on everything himself. Even though they were Shamru Emra who Ubris he did everything on his own. He said to his parents, I don't see your merits. I don't see your schuyos. He said to his brother and his sister, maybe even elder and Medad, those who know, they might be related that way. He says, I don't recognize your schuyos as my own. They're not my own. Even his children, Nadavavio, Alazuri, Tamar, even Pinchas, his grandson. He says, I don't know any of your merits. I can only help myself, said Aaron. And that shows us something. That even if we have great parents, Great siblings, great children that we could say like, look, I don't need to do that much. Look at these things. These are going to work for me. That's what's going to help me, right? I have all these things going for me. Even Aaron said, I can't. Ha'omer la'avi will receive. He would not rely on anybody else. He worked on it himself, and that's that. And that's why the beginning of the Pasuk is Lashon Yachid, and the end is Lashon Rabin. He's saying himself that he wouldn't rely on those people. Yeah, what's up? Is it tonight? Is it, tonight? it depends if you're if you're... Yeah, Arizel versus, right, the other. So, yeah, it could be Aaron's. So, if everybody said the Vimatuminach Aaron. If he's sitting right here, we had an extra seat for him. We have an extra seat just, just for Aaron. But yeah, 100%. And the Islam of says the exact same thing. Aaron never said to Hashem, keep me alive because of my father and my mother. But look at what my father did in Mitzrayim. Look at my great mother who saved all the babies in Mitzrayim. Keep me alive because of my brother Moshe or my sister Miriam. Keep me alive because of my children need me. He never said that. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He never complained once. He was by Yidom when his children died. He understood this is what HaKadosh Baruch wants. And he accepted it and did everything. That's what Aaron takes. take took for himself. Reverse wonders why the Pusik switches wording for each relative. Lo re'isiv is by the parents. Lo hi kir for a brother. Lo yoda by a child. Why is that? Why is it I didn't see, I didn't recognize, I didn't know? He says it could be by parents seeing them is enough to stop them from doing something against them. Seeing your parents would be like, "I, I couldn't do that to my parents. I couldn't do that. To my mother or father. Seeing them, we it. Like, by brothers, it might be necessary to recognize them. You kind of do want to kill your brother sometimes or your sister, right? But you recognize them, you know, I'm oh, sorry, like Yosef. Like uh, but once you recognize them, if you know who they are as people, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa no, I, I, I can't do anything bad to them. Once you recognize them as people, maybe seeing them is not enough, but recognize them a little bit better. By children, this is an interesting one over here. Right, The full feeling of knowing that they belong to you Will cause you to stay their hand Sometimes children do things to parents That the parents obviously want to Take revenge against their kids That happens all the time That can happen at any point But the fact that you, again, you know them You know who they are You know your relationship to them That's the loyoda that you didn't know That's the idea They forgot all human ties, Shivali And they carried out what they were supposed to Against those people at any time Is that anybody's? Oh, okay, good. That Ksav says when a person is poorish from this world in order to learn Torah properly, he's, <laughs> he's probably older and has already gone through much of his life. Even though he would clearly recognize his parents by this age, he no longer sees his parents. Meaning that's at a point where he's like that. His brother, may not live near him, may have not, not much to do with him. He won't even recognize a brother. And his children, he doesn't even know since he spent so much time learning. And that's the reason for those three phrases over there. Now, there's a Balatir in the Rukeach over here. That's something for another time. I'm not going to get into that right now. But the final part of the pasuk, where we say Ki Shamru Imrasecha, they kept your word U bris Chayin Soru, and they they protected your bris. What exactly does that mean over here? So Rashi says the wording of Lo Yelacha Lohim They would never worship Avodazara, including the of Zav, obviously. But they would never do Avodazara. They were never involved with in this. Bris is the bris milah. They gave their kids brisim even through the midbar, Through the 40 years that they were in the <laughs> desert, the rest of Kalah Yisrael would not give their kids brismilas. But Shavet Levi did. Now, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't Ben Yisrael do it? Because it was dangerous. The northern wind couldn't blow because the northern wind would have scattered the Ananiyakavot. The northern wind heals brismilas somehow. I don't understand exactly. We'll talk about that in a second. But that's that. I'm sorry? So Shavet Levi did it anyway. And in fact, the Sforno says it's likely that Shevet Levi lost many of their kids because they gave them bris in the mid When it was dangerous to do so, when the northern wind wasn't there, it's possible that's one of the reasons why their numbers were so low. Shevet Levi was tiny, tiny in comparison to the other shvatim, and it could be this, because they kept dying from doing bris milas. Which leads you to the obvious question. Why were they giving brismilas if it was a danger? Yeah. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Because there was no technical Avoda service. Remember, they didn't have the korbanos really throughout the mid-bore. They did certain things. Maybe the Korban although that's a Mach But the Korban Pasach didn't even happen. Yeah. That's for sure true. That's for sure true. Maybe that just held out the... Right. But the svorno is saying it straight out. Ruvani Yumi is still a Rishon. He's saying it's because they give bris and they died. That's what he says. Yeah, really child. So here, this is it. Rav Schoenberg immediately sets on this. And Tom Vidas says, that makes no sense. <clears throat> it's not a mitzvah to give a brismila to a child who's going to possibly die. If you have a question whether a kid is a yellow child, right, who has some issue... You don't give them a bris milah. You can't. That's us, sir. Forget about everything else. You can't put a child in danger. It's not even Docha Shabbos, right? Normally, bris milah is Docha Shabbos. You can't be Docha Shabbos for a Suffolk. We're not even sure. He says, so Rav tries answering it by saying the following It's not going to answer the phone. Oh, hold on for the phone over here. But he says, it's possible. The lack of a north wind does not cause any immediate sickness or danger. I don't even understand what, how the north wind works. If we go inside this building, we have a brisk meal inside the building. There's a north wind that heals the baby? Well, what does that mean? We don't understand how northern winds could possibly heal a baby. So because there was no north wind in the mid-bore, therefore we can't give a brisk? What does that mean? I, it really, it's the strangest thing in the world. So he says the following. He says, sometimes the feelings a person has when they're told they're sick can make them lose hope and put them in danger. This is such an unbelievable thing. I mean, I, I've i heard this, obviously, from doctors, not just from there. Sometimes the greatest thing for a person who's sick is to have that hope and that feeling of, I can do this. And sometimes that'll help them. On the other hand, it's just the opposite. When people have the feelings of hopelessness and of failure, I can't get out of this, that almost sends them down to a spiral where they don't go there. This is not scientific. There is no official study that I've seen that goes into and says the feelings of a person allow you to become better or allow you to become sicker. Obviously. That, that, that's not something that I, I... I don't even know if you could make a scientific study out of that. Maybe you could. I have absolutely no idea. But the point is we've seen it Your ourselves. Immune goes down. Your immune system. Yeah, when you're so it, when you're stressed. When you're stressed. So maybe that's the idea behind it and something will happen. But he says, like, we've seen many people who don't feel sick at all. And then they find out that they have Yenam machla, you know, osamachla cancer. And then all of a sudden... Everything starts spiraling downward. They were fine the day of the test. And then all of a sudden they found out and they just couldn't handle it. Ariel, what? Sorry, sorry to go no, back please. Back. You know man? No. Like, like, oh, like, because like, <laughs> like, he thought he was going to die. Yeah. And what happened? He's still living. Right. right. And that, this is nothing against doctors. Doctors are obviously unbelievably good at what they do, but they don't know everything. And we know that. <laughs> we know that from COVID. So like, we, we know that there's always things that happen, right? We're, we're not sure. So that's the idea behind it. Maybe there were some people who were worried that, without the North Wind that they felt was going to help them, right, it was a danger for some people, and the children would be in danger. but not that the North wind was actually with the lack of a north wind was a danger it's possible it wasn't. they were if you were worried, you weren't permitted to give your children milas because the north Wind was necessary for you, but for other people who felt we don 't need the north wind, we don 't need it. shave it lavy we don 't need the north wind, they gave milas. So for Bnei Yisrael, itaka was a sakana. It was dangerous for them. But for Bnei Levi, it wasn't dangerous because they felt that it wasn't a big issue. And therefore, when they, when, if children did die, they didn't attribute it to the lack of wind. They attributed it to their lack of merits. Again, it's not a great answer for the Sforno because the Sforno is saying that they momish died because they didn't give bris milos. But it's a good answer as to why they did it. Right? If there was such a question, if there's a question there, I'm sorry. I, I can't. I mamish can't. I, I have something. Hold on. The Malbim in Yoshua Parakei Pasig Dalet, said that Shevet Levi relied on Hashkachas Hashem, and the, the attention span of HaKadosh because They knew that Moshe Rabbeinu himself was punished for pushing off the bris. Remember, Moshe Rabbeinu came to the inn and he didn't give a brist to either Gershom or Eliezer and therefore the snake almost, you know, whatever it is, that whole thing that happened in Shmos. The others who didn't do so didn't have full hearts dedicated to Hashem. So they looked for reasons not to do so. Meaning, it wasn't that a lack of a north wind could cause them to die. It's that the people who wouldn't do so blamed it on the north wind and said, we can't because of the north wind. So Ben had an excuse. It wasn't necessarily legitimate, but they took it as an excuse and people understood it, while Sheva Levy said, there is no excuse. We're going to do it anyway, and that's that. Yeah, what's up, Sean? I think so. I think it's the devotion that allows it to be that way. Yeah, and that, that, that idea of what their devotion was, that they understood, we do what we're supposed to do. It yes. Yeah, there's evil that comes from it's a plusking yeshaya, I believe, right? But that means like what's going to happen in the evil in the future, and that's where the medrash comes from the demons come from the north, etc. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I, I, they didn't have the Korban Pesach anyway until the 40th year in the Midbor. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, until they got to Eretz Yisrael, Yoshua did the first Korban Pesach since the second year in the Midbor. During 38 years, there was none. There was none. But that's straight out in Yoshua. That's that parakeh. That's exactly what the Malbim's talking about, where the Malbim goes into it. The Chesab Sofer, I found, oh my gosh, I was so lucky. I did this tshuva years ago. It's an unreal chuva. It's at the end of Orachaim in Simon Reish Ches. It's the last tshuva of his Shalos Ha-Tshuva. It's an Orachayim, the Chassam Sofer, and it's a, it's a crazy tshuva. It's like six pages long, no, like six columns long, and he, he goes into everything in this tshuva, literally all over the place, going from one thing to the other, and he goes through all these things, and he asks this question right in the middle. He says, this is a very strange gemara. Did a Karshbar who really changed Seder Bereshis by not allowing the northern wind to blow for 40 years? Think about that for a second. Oh, the Ananiya covered would be scattered, so Hashem didn't let the north wind blow. What does that mean? Think about that for a second. The north wind, a wind didn't blow for 40 years? If it's necessary for the world, how did the world survive for 40 years like that? That's number one. He also says, right, Lo nashav lam as if it was only for them. Lo nashav lahem. It didn't blow for them. What does that mean? The northern wind didn't blow for them, but it blew everywhere else in the world? How does that work? Well, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, Ruben. So what was Well they said we're not worried about the northern wind. The lack of a northern wind. That was the idea. I thought the northern wind. Felt, uh, but that's what we're saying that like no that was either corner of the Malben was just an excuse that they were using but it wasn't real or the feelings that one might have allow a person to get her. So Shave Levy said we don't care about the northern wind. We'll do it anyway and it will it'll work out. There, like the feeling the that's good. COVID what? I mean, the anonymous- them, was them. Yeah, Unless, was there any wind at all? You're uh, saying like, right, but, but. southeast and west wind apparently wouldn't scatter them, and the north wind would. So uh, whatever that means, so they did something. So we go those are two questions. it suggests there was a difference between B'nai Yisrael and B'nai Levi, and this is crazy. This is what the Chassam Sofer says. It says Bnei Yisrael were nizufim because of the Egel Azov. They were involved with the Egel Azov. See, so they were in Kherim. They were excommunicated. They were excommunicated. Right? Because the Eagle and then later the Moroglum, which Shavit Levi wasn't involved with either. They didn't have one of the Moraglan going out there. Therefore, they didn't deserve the Ruach Tzfonis, the northern wind, to blow into the clouds. Because it, it would cause a danger to the from the nations around them. It would scatter the winds for anybody else in Bnei Israel. It's almost as if Bnei Israel didn't deserve the Ananiakovot, because they did the Igolazov and they did the Moraglan. So Hashem miraculously allowed them to have the Ananiya Kavod, But if anything happened, if a northern wind would blow for B'nai Yisrael, it would scatter and they'd be in trouble. Because they didn't really deserve it. They were already in Cherem, so to speak. So that was a problem. Shevet Levi, however, were not involved with the Agel, not involved with the Meraglim, which means they weren't in Azufim. And therefore, for them, they deserved the Ananiyakavod. So for them, the north wind blew into their areas. It blew right through the clouds into their areas and healed their babies, says the Qasem Sofer. They deserve the northern wind. It didn't blow for them, meaning for B'nai Yisrael. So they couldn't give bris milas. But it blew for them, for Shavit Levi, and therefore they could give bris milas, and they did do bris milas. And it happened to Shavit Levi all 40 years. So when we asked before, isn't it a danger? How are you allowed to do it? It's only a danger for B'nai Yisrael because he didn't deserve and therefore, they couldn't have the northern wind. But Shavit Levi, they could. That's the idea behind it. But none of that works for the Sforno. Again, the Sforno says straight out their children died because they put their kids in Sakana. They put their kids in danger. How in the world could they have done so? How could the Sforno say that they did so? None of these answers are going to answer that. The part is it brings up another Machlokas which might answer the question. The Rambam. In the beginning of Hochul Zizotia Torah, it's in Perike, says... A person is only allowed to give up his life for the big three. Gilearaias, Avodah Mavodizara. Now, again, if there's if it's Dunbarabim or the nations are trying to destroy us specifically because of our mitzvahs, whatever Shasakhiram he calls it, right, then you can also give up your life for any mitzvah. But it's the big three and that's that, or unless there's you know extenuating circumstances. You're not allowed to give up your life for anything else. He says if a person gives up his life for any other mitzvah, any other mitzvah out there. That's not one of those big three. He's Mishayev benafsho, And I know that sounds strange, right? It's M'Abed nafsho Ladas, I think is the wording. He says, if you give up your life for Shabbos, when you're not supposed to, you deserve to die. You killed yourself. You did the wrong thing, in other words. <laughs> no, 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 again, that's Shashachir, yeah, that's an emergency situation where they're trying to get us to stop doing mitzvahs, etc. That's a different situation. But in a normal situation, it's only Shrikus Damia, Vodazar, Gilia, any other mitzvah, you are Chayiv for killing yourself. You killed yourself and you don't go into Olam But That's the Rambam's position. However, the Nimuki Yosef and the Rabbeinu Yerucham, both Rishon, and the Yosef is a little bit later, but the Rabbeinu Yerucham and the Nimuki Yosef hold that if somebody is de chasidus He's a special chassid. And he's a Yirei Shamayim. He's allowed to be machmer on himself and be Moser Nefesh for any mitzvah. He's allowed to do such a thing. Meaning, you could allow yourself to be killed, right? You could allow yourself to be killed for even, they tell you to put on a non-Jewish shoelace. You're allowed to do it. The Rambam would say, What are you doing? But according to the Yosef in the Ravini come if you're a chassid if you're muksed pe not just anyone but you're pe chassidus you're allowed to give up your life for any mitzvah for it's any individual mitzvah gambler. I'm sorry no. kind of like a high stakes gamble it is no it's 100% up. and it's a real big thing and how do you know that you're a chassid is that what you're asking me muksed pe i think like every you've done your whole life you've acted with chassidus and you've always done it i think that's the the idea behind it that's what it would be it seems like maybe it is it is subjective mind. i think well no I think Muxtapeh Chasidis might be objective. That wording might be objective, meaning it's objectively, everybody knows about this guy, that's the type of guy that's special. Meaning a guy that the non-Jews would target and say we're going for that guy because he's the you know the ultimate leader of the Jew, whatever it is, something like that. Maybe Shevet Levi held like the Rabbeinu Yerucham and the Namuki Yosef. You're allowed to be Moser Nefesh if you're known as chasidim, and therefore they were Moser Nefesh for the mitzvah of Brismila. They knew it was possible that their kids could die, right? How could they put themselves in danger if they thought that? Because they were already in the previous passage, it says, They were known as chasidim, the Leviam. They were known as chasidim. Therefore, it was mutter for them to be able to put themselves in danger. They could. The rest of an Israel were not in the Hasidim, so they couldn't put themselves in danger and they didn't and they didn't do it. And according to the Sforno, they... They, some of them actually died. The kids did die. They did die. But they were allowed to do so, he says, because they were most of a Hasidus. That's a crazy machlokas. That's something that really takes a little bit more work. I'm going to bring up one last story. What time do we have over here? Oh, we don't have start time. All right, Belina, I'm going to make a, an addendum to this. That'll be just like a really quick, like three minute. I'll put it on the... I'll put it on the group so that everybody sees them, whatever it is. But, like, I, I have a really good story of Mysterious Nefesh. And then we're talking about Mysterious Nefesh for this right over here. And the last one is the Punam Yafos, but everybody can look that up themselves. All right, guys. Have a great Shabbos and a great Cholamoid and a good Yomton.